finally got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform. Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. Today, I'm privileged to have Dave Howden from Umbrella with me. Dave, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Kia ora. Morning, evening, to whichever time you're listening to this. Um, hello. Yeah. It's great, great to have you on the show. Um, Dave Howden is the Chief Executive Officer at Umbrella and MyCSP.io, Microsoft Partner of the Year. He is an experienced senior executive building businesses on behalf of and alongside financial sponsors within the tech sector. Dave has over 20 years of operational steering committee and private equity experience governing engineering technology strategies in some of the largest IT and telecommunications companies in the world. He's known for leading, some would say ringleading, commercially viable game-changing implementations of technology, monetizing and productizing platforms, and motivating teams for technology transformation. He actively leads in the tech industry because technology, whether it's cloud, artificial intelligence, intelligent networks, or IoT, when used and implemented correctly, dramatically improves <coughs> business outcomes, lives, and economies. So, Dave, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, that's, I say what that bio is a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> I do. I do we need, uh, if there's anything that comes from this podcast, it's I need to do a bit of work on refining and pointing that back at something that's more concise. I think it comes across really well, but uh, we can always look at it right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, look, just to kick things off, Dave, could you tell us uh, something that not too many people would know about you? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally not professionally related. Um, so back in my misspent youth, um, uh, I, I was born and, and raised as a you know, guy out in the uh, child out in the villages of the, of the UK. And um, uh, I come from a family that were pretty good at athletics. My, my, my father used to play for Leicester City back in the day. Um, but that's not about me. That's about him. <clears throat> but as part of that, um, I used to do a lot of athletics when I was um, younger. So um, I was the um, under 21s English high, high jump champion for the UK for three years on the, on the bounce and still hold the record today for, um, for high jump in the UK for um, under 21s. Frosby um, flop, I presume. Frosby, the Frosby flop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was tall, lanky. Um, I weigh a little bit now, but you know, used to wet, pretty much wet. Uh, didn't, didn't weigh anything, and was pretty good at throwing myself backwards over a bar. So, uh, but yeah, you know, then I found you know girls and alcohol, and then it all changed after that. <laughs> As it does, the alco- the uh, the the athletics took a little bit of a backseat. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, that was that was that injury, and just grow, you know, growing up and realizing that um, you got to got to pay a more got to pay a mortgage, and um, you know, and actually, you know, I was okay, but I wasn't I wasn't that good, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, great achievement though. Yeah, and uh, and interesting that your dad played for Leicester City. So that's um, that was uh, was that aspirational for you, or was that just kind of one of those things that just sort of was there because 
your dad always did that. So I can get away with this because he's 12,000 miles away in a different country, but I have, I, it's a game that I don't enjoy. Like I don't enjoy soccer um, and football. I never, I never have. And I think that's, you know, he was pretty frustrated by that. Like taking me out to the football pitch every Saturday and Sunday morning, trying to get me to play with local teams. I'm like, I don't want to run around a field kicking a ball. That's, you know, that's, uh, it wasn't something I was that interested in. So, you know, he was a, probably a little bit disappointed on that, but you know, I can get away with that because he's not here. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it, with fathers and sons? I've always surfed, and uh, and um, Ollie, my son, has tried it a few times, but he just doesn't take, just never taken to it. And he's the opposite. He's a he's a guy with a ball in hand as a cricket bowler or a, a, as a football player. So uh, it's interesting how things yeah. go when you you know when you look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just to um, step into the leadership side of things, Dave. Can you just kind of cast your mind back to your early days in leadership, and uh, what what was the what initiated you making the move from wherever you were into a leadership role? And can you just talk through some of the the challenges that you faced, how you felt, and and some of the, some some um, ideas that new leaders moving into a into a leadership role might be able to make use of in, in their first steps and forays into into leadership? Yeah. So, so firstly, Campbell, thanks for inviting me on this this podcast because I think you you know the the narrative that we've had before this in terms of prepping has kind of sparked a lot of thoughts. Um, from like the early days and, you know, looking at the business that I, I lead now, sometimes well, sometimes I can always do better, right? But, you know, trying to like live those lessons and, and bring them through. But the, the, the thing that really kind of uh, throws me back was, um, was you've got these two, com- two compartments of leadership, right? One which has got a tag on it and one which hasn't. And I always found that I was in a really, the best leadership positions I've always been in as where I've been leading through osmosis without the badge, as in I'm doing some awesome work. I've got a team of together, a team of people who are around are around me, but don't work for me necessarily. But they're influenced by an idea, or they're influenced by a direction, or we're trying to solve a gnarly problem, or we're being entrepreneurial and doing a skunk works project. And you've got leadership, and you're doing leadership, and leadership is happening, um, but it's happening in its purest form because it's not driven by an authority, it's driven by genuine intent from the people around you to follow with you know, you acting as the glue that pulls these guys together. And what's lo- not lost on me is the fact that when you then take that great like subculture of leadership and then go, right, now you're the boss, people move to a stereotype of what a boss is and the leader gen- kind of disconnects themselves from what the were they were doing to now, oh, I've got to be a leader. Therefore, they're doing things by a textbook as opposed to doing things by what they were doing before. And the team go, well, this is how I interact with a boss, which is more around to kind of how you'd act in corporate culture of covering your back and, you know, sticking to policy and not being creative and all those things that kind of would, would die away. Yeah. So the reason I'm saying this is that my first step into leadership was driving those kind of projects, like seeing a problem tacking it head on, trying to fix it, being recognized for it, taking people on the on, on the journey and just being a good employee at the time, right? And this is like, you know, when I was in my teenage years, just doing stuff and taking people on the journey. That's, for me, the most purest form of leadership. The trick is you then get recognized by the company or the business or the organization for that. And they give you management accountability and HR responsibilities and all these things that mean you're the boss, that is the transition which I think 95% of people start to trip on. Um, I've seen it. I've been there. I've, I've done it. And um, 
you know, I know actually I much prefer the other side of the organization, which is the skunk works piece, but you can't run an organization of the size that we do at Umbrella with skunk work projects. We need some form of structure, but how do you create that sense of natural leadership without it becoming a authoritative leadership style, which is totally alien from the culture that we want to want to create. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm answering your question, but I'm kind of indicating that, that leadership is something you do, not something you necessarily give it a title of, you know, you can't give give, give it a title and be, be a leader and trying to connect back to those core parts of that. I think is just such the biggest challenge for, for new leaders today. Um, and people that are, have leadership qualities, but are trying to transition into a corporate structure. Right. So, so yeah, that's really interesting. The, so what would you, what did you learn from your missteps down that path of going from that, that intrinsic leadership piece to, to, to official <laughs> leadership piece that might help someone that's listening to this consider some of the things that you know might stop them from dropping into this authoritarian way of doing things and the team from suddenly you know all being separated from the leader rather than being together. What, what would you suggest? Oh, look, there are a couple of things. Um, staring at yourself in the mirror and giving yourself the pep talk about whether you're ready for this this world in leadership is really quite important. Um, a lot of a lot of people, and I was one of these, will look at the paycheck and they'll look at the title and they'll look at the, you know, the possible impact that this role could have a role could have, and they'll go, cool, yeah, you're in. But as you get more senior within a leadership role, it's a thankless task with high levels of accountability where there's no excuses. Um, you own the problem, you don't own the success. It's yeah, actually, yeah. It, you know, it's not, it's actually, you've got to be highly, highly self-motivated to go, you know what, when it goes really, really well, that's on the boys and the girls and the organization. But, you know, you miss the number or you have a big incident or there's a business risk that can't be managed. That's on, that's on you. And you've got no vent for it. Right. And it's really making sure you're looking at the mirror and going, are you ready for that, that level of accountability to hold yourself accountable for it? And if you're not, then actually that's okay because it is okay um now having that conversation with yourself can be quite hard because you need it's all hindsight is 2020 you need to be able to look back and go right okay well what did i screw up here what i'm indicating is the biggest learning that i've had is that there are no excuses you're ultimately responsible for everything accountable for for everything um and you can't necessarily get away with the same narrative that you had in your non-leadership role, which was, I'm too busy, I haven't got enough time, there's not enough resources. They just will disappear. You can't have that conversation anymore. Because that you, you're, you're actually paid to deliver the outcomes regardless and manage that tension with inside of your organization. So, you know, how do you do that? Um, find someone who's been there before. Yeah. Right. Because um, I can I can look in the mirror now because I've been there and I've I've been there, right? I've had the excuses and I've felt the consequence of having the excuses, which is things aren't going well. And, you know, you went to, you, you, you burn out or you make a career change or whatever, but it takes a few of those, you know, come to Jesus moments with yourself to realize actually, no, no, I'm now ready for this, but you can shortcut it, right? You can get there first. Um, so I'll kind of round this up. If I was, at 18 or 20 year old me again, looking at, am I ready for leadership? I'd be asking myself a couple of questions. One, do you want this job genuinely? Do you understand what it's about? 
to can you do this job if you're saying you want it can you do it you prepared for it and three once you're in you're in right you've got to give this a two three year run to to learn but also realize that it is going to be bloody difficult and get the other side of that then you're all good yeah yeah that's uh and then you mentioned just before about finding someone who's been there to to be able to benefit from their experience is that something that um that you've had that you've had some good experiences with in the past and when you haven't done that that it's made it more difficult what what's and how do you go about finding the, the person or the people to help you coaches mentors what you know whatever that might be your boss so there are people that have been in before you right there's people that have led before you have led as in, I'm not talking about you cab I mean individuals right there are people that have been there before um nothing promotes ego or reflection on someone else's career by helping someone else go through that that pain process so if there is a good leader around you that you can see has got time for you just ask the question they will want to give back yeah right? they genuinely and I, I don't this this is not true for everybody right but a good leader will want to mentor someone they want to pass it on they want to take the lessons they want to make sure that those lessons are learned ahead of time versus being the ambulance at the bottom of the bottom of the cliff it may not be your direct manager it may not be anybody that you know with inside your organization, but to find someone who you respect, who's got a few more years under your belt than you have maybe, um, that's got a similar but a diverse um, thinking pattern in terms of, you know, the similarities, but they don't necessarily be related to your industry and go, hey, look, you know, do you mind if we just meet up for a coffee every two or three weeks? I want to throw my challenges around. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. You know, I've got a, I've got a guy that's not performing too well. Can you help me? How do I go on a coaching program? What do I need to do? You know, like, and, and that realization that a mentor is not there to do your job for you. A mentor is there to support your thinking. But realizing, again, if you've looked in the mirror and said you're accountable and you're going to own this, then you actually owe it to yourself to make sure you've got all the ingestion points and all the noise coming, right? So what books are you reading? Who are you following? Uh, who are you talking to? What's your reference point for what good looks like? It's not all on you, right? There's so, we, 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 sometimes it's seen as like leadership is, you know, it's all the individual. It's not, right? It's... You know, I'm, I take great bits from, you know, how this guy leads or from someone at school, you know, one of my teachers, how they spoke to me or how one of my team kind of has empathy for another colleague, all these little bits, pulling it together. But finding, finding an experienced mentor um, who can just give you a, a sense of grounding, I think is, is uh, really, really quite important. And most people have got them in their, in their lives. And if they don't, there are organizations out there that can provide you, like the local business council support groups, um, like um, Business North Harbour, which was one that Umbrella is associated with, have an open mentor program. They'll connect you to with what you know a CEO in another organisation that wants to give back to the, to the industry. Yeah. So you know there is definitely support out there for those that for those that are humble enough to take it because it's it can be quite you know thought provoking to say oh you know I've just got a new job aren't I great actually no you're not you've just got the job you've not proven anything yet so you know go and tour yourself up. Yeah, yeah, that's there's a great there's a great analogy about uh, about tools, which is uh, which came from Diana Taylor, and that was that a mentor of hers, a wise person in her history, had said to her, "Look, you you know you're about to go from doing stuff to leading and managing people. Your doing stuff toolbox is fine, and it's got you to where you are now. But guess what? The toolbox, the leadership toolbox." it's completely empty and you have to fill it with new tools. So you, you need some help to, to get the tools in that toolbox and <coughs> be able to get across that gap and, and, uh, and succeed. So, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, and that, that was that was me to be honest. I mean, I was I was working in a sales team and then became um, head of business development of British Telecom, and I was I was a you know really good sales guy, um, ex engineer, technical, um, could go toe to toe with CIOs on you know big gnarly technical challenges that they were having, and I really enjoyed that. But then I was leading a team of seven salespeople and was useless at it, you know, because that guy's got more year. They've got bigger beards, longer hair. You know, they, were just, they were just, they were more, I was like 24, 25 leading salespeople that were like 50, 60 years old. No, no respect for the young guy coming in the room. Yeah. You know, um, you learn it, you know, you learn it the hard way. You know, if, I, if I'd not gone through those steps, then I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so you do need to go through it, but could I have shortcut the learnings? And and what and what is a classic example at the time of a leader who gave me the authority, but not necessarily supporting the, the the empty toolbox? Yeah, you know. And there is an obligation on me. I should have filled the toolbox up quicker. That's on me because I never looked at myself in the mirror. Is there an also an obligation on the leaders to make sure that they, there's an understanding of expectation and that you're indicating that you're going from a player to a player manager? You're going to need to think very very differently here. And I know that was a conversation that didn't happen, but that's kind of helped me shape the leading the leaders that I've got in umbrella today. Yeah, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges is we tend to, and you perhaps you're a classic example in that situation. You were one of you were a top salesperson, very successful, and then you pick your top player out of your team, um, your top high jumper, and you make them the coach or the or the leader of the whole team. And a couple of things can go wrong there. One is they're not. The right, you know, leadership isn't in their kind of in their in what they want to do or what they're good at. A, they've probably never had a run into into learning what that might mean and all those things that you talked about the the realities of leadership and the and the accountability of it. And it, it, you, you, they, you end up in that role and then you're left to sink or swim. And so many people in those roles, whether they come out of sales like you did into sales management, whether they come out of a technical role into technical management. Uh, into managing technical teams, same thing. Single swim, it's, it can be a real nightmare. And you suddenly realize that you really, really enjoyed being on the tools. Yep. And and the only way to get back to the tools is is to, to leave the company. So you've lost your best person and you've interrupted, you've affected the team because morale's down because the leader wasn't leading properly, and then they've gone. So from a new, from a, the, you know, you just mentioned before about the leader's responsibility when they employ, when they put a new leader into a role. What would you say to to other leaders based on your experience that could really help them help their new leader that they've either brought in from outside or promoted through from the team into being uh, much more likely to succeed and far less likely to fail and to succeed more quickly as well? So that was a long a, rambling question. I know. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think there's a precursor to to that, which is the situation that leaders find themselves in when they're actually being asked to or need to because of necessity appoint someone as a new leader right so if you look at this remove the personalities and the people and look at it from just a budget perspective it's genuinely less impactful for the business to to promote from within and backfill a cheaper role than it is to go and bring an experienced manager in um last time i checked businesses are in business to make money and the short-term thinking um, whilst it's true for the immediate quarter or year that you're in that it's cheaper to do that, the long-term impacts of thinking short when you're bringing management or new leaders in can be devastating in the long term. So there's a symptom of commercials with inside an organization, which is you're growing 
as an organization, you need to create more leadership or grow the size of the team. Cheapest way to do it, find someone that's sticking their hand up, create them as a manager, and then backfill with a cheaper resource to grow the size of size of the team. Fail, all written over it. Because that's that's creating the scenario that we're talking around now, which is best player sticks their hand up because they want to be part of the growth story and the toolkit is empty. Yeah. So the reason I'm prefacing it with that scenario is that actually it takes strength from leadership from day one of how are we going to grow this business? And if we're going to bring new people in, do we have a culture that can take and a skills progression pathway or training programs or appropriate mentorship toolboxes um, that can prepare leaders for leadership? Because if we haven't, we have to bring people in who can, although it kills the business. Again, I've been there, I've done it. And and it, it, it would I do it again the way that I did it, you know, four or five years ago? Absolutely, absolutely not. You know, so it takes the leadership of the organization at the time to have the foresight to know, look, guys, we're on a growth curve here. We are going to need to bring in more people at the most appropriate time. What is our strategy? Grow from within, bring people in external, or have a, pro- a program that manage that gives people the tools internally. And then when the opportunities create themselves, then they're already prepared to make the jump across the chasm. But leadership again has to, it's that you're planning 12 months, 18 months out. You can't prepare a leader in under six to 12 months. They're just, it's, it's just not how it works. Um, so prefacing that with, how do you kind of you know make make the jump between uh, you know not being a leader and being being a leader? Um, the key thing for me is is making sure that you're one hundred percent setting the expectation with these individuals. Have the conversation straight up, as in this is not a promotion which sees you get paid more to do the same job. You're we we have position descriptions for a reason. We have responsibilities and races and. Um, you know, lead to cash processes for a reason. So if everyone knows where to play on the pitch, that's cool. Realize that you're now playing on a different part of the field. It's no better. It's no worse. It's just a different part of the field. Do you 100% understand what that, that means and what the expectations of you are? If those conversations have been had and the, the leader that's appointing that role is not overly stretching to help the person. And what I mean by help is doing it for them. Doing doing a job for someone is not helping them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's unempowering them. You know, it's taking away their choice to improve. So if you've had the conversation and you're not leaning in doing their job for them, then the individual who's the new leader has the choice. They can either step into the shoes of it and realize that they now know what's expected of them, or they can go, actually, you know what? No, I'm not ready, but I could be ready in six months' time. Uh, and it just gives them it gives them the choice, right? Um, but the hard complication has to has to happen. Right from the, the the right from the choice to bring a new leader into the organizational structure somewhere, the the hard conversation has to happen. Then, are you ready? Do you know what's expected of you? Because I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Here's all the tools available to you. Um, I'm not going to do your job job for you, and therefore, are you ready? Do you know what the job is? Can you do it? Okay, let's get to work. That's that's great. Um, and then it's on the individual to make the choice, right? Yeah, and, and that's. That's that's when leadership really starts to show because the the individual that's ready will step in. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'll be clear about where they need the help. 
And that points a lot at the culture of the organization too, or if not the culture of the organization, at least the maturity and understanding of the, the leader or the or the manager that's appointing that new person into that role um, and has given them a runway in rather than than a you know throwing them in the deep end of the summit, just push them in the pool. It's uh it's pretty challenging, right? And a lot of organizations don't do that. There is another wrinkle to it too, which is if you look at the Gallup stats uh, research that's been done, only one in 10 people make good natural leaders and another two with the right support and coaching and guidance and mentoring can be really good leaders. The other seven out of 10, according to Gallup, um, should never be leaders and actually where they're best suited is to be technical experts. Yeah. How do you go about as a leader of leaders identifying those natural leaders and the ones that can be uh coached and supported into a role as opposed to someone whose true role really where they're really going to get the most benefit where they're going to feel the best where they're going to grow and be able to deliver the most for the for the organization and for themselves is actually in a technical role how do you make that how do you see which way someone should go or help them to see which way they should go because often we think we might want leadership but it's driven by status and money and you know other things as opposed to gee if I get into that role what I now just realized is hey I don't I'm not on the tools anymore and I love that stuff and I and I'm struggling not to be doing it so it's a good it's a good it's a good question I think one that's matured over the course of the last 15 or so years with the introduction of agile working and which is not necessarily linked to how corporates used to run from when me and you first got you know got into business you know before where agile was a, a thing and the reason I mentioned that is that we're not an overly agile business. We have, you know, teams that work in agile formats, and the, but there's there's still a structure to the organisation, and we've still got a big waterfall mission as such. Though the reason I mentioned agile is that it compartmentalises your technical capability to lead parts of an organisation because of what you're really really good at. It doesn't. It's it's a lateral leadership as opposed to a vertical leadership. So you can run in agile. You can run a chapter, which means you're an expert in this and there's another person in the organization who's also an expert in that, but you've got different parts of the business that you work in. You can create a commonality and lead that chapter of individuals, for example. So it doesn't mean that the individual needs to take on accountability for, you know, the PNL of the organization and do HR and all this kind of stuff, but they can dip their toe in to yeah. structuring a leadership style, which is bringing people together for a common good, rallying against a common goal, staying accountable for what you're going to do, sharing information, learning and development, all of these things, but it doesn't give you the tag, you know, because the tag is, oh, you are, you know, the CEO of this part of the business. Right? So Agile really does help initially identify these great leaders because it's all kind of common goal based. So you get a structure to what I was talking about at the start of the podcast, which was this skunk works mindset. Um, but now with Agile, there's a bit more structure to it. So you can be a practice lead or you can be part of a DevOps cluster or you can run a chapter of individuals. It's You get those opportunities because of what you're technically good at. And everyone's still on the tools, which is yeah. awesome, but you're stepping into that to, to that void. So, you know, if there are organizations out there that have an interest in, you know, Agile, I'd just do a bit of research on it. But look at it in terms of that. How can you create passion projects for individuals where three or four people across the business need to work together who naturally rises to the leadership position who's the one that's reporting back who's who's the one that's keeping everyone accountable right okay cool now you can see the shoots of natural leadership coming up okay great and it's a conversation where do you want to take your career 
and then it's then it's a skills first remuneration status status after as opposed to the business needs a leader who wants it yeah you know yeah and and the one with the big ego and not necessarily the uh the ability to run the team might end up running it and it ends up causing all sorts of problems right and that's that's that sounds really powerful and and it goes as you said it goes back to your original uh idea around that without all of the official stuff that sits around leadership you be you 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 can see the people in the organization who do start to to stand out as as leaders one question but flip the other way around if you were to take a position description you know if, if i'm if i'm sat here and i'm um i need a cfo right i'm like okay cool so the business needs a cfo who wants to do it and then the whole market put their hand up and go oh i reckon i can do that that's great but if i flip the question around and go the business needs a cfo I think you can do it because you've shown these capabilities. You've put like the power back within those individuals to go, look, I've got the business needs something. And I've seen you do these things that are natural signs of leadership. Now, there may be a disconnect between what the job description and what you're doing right now, right? But I think there's a pathway we can get you there. Now, isn't that much of isn't that a really great cultural story to say, I've got something that the business needs, I can see promise in you. This is what it means to actually do it, and we're going to get you on the journey, as opposed to a hundred egos coming into the room saying, "I can do it," when you've not even experienced how these people operate. Yeah, yeah, and and they haven't experienced it either, and they might find that they hate it when they get in there, or that they're not. That's not what they want to do, or you know, all that. Now that's uh, <laughs> that's that's great. Um, one of the one of the things that um, that happens, you, you take your first step forays into leadership and you start to build your leadership toolbox and you have a team of people that you're leading and managing and you've got HR responsibility and all the other stuff and you're building your toolbox and that goes really well. You're directly uh, responsible for getting things done through other, through other people, which is you know the whole leadership management thing. But then what happens is a little bit further down the track at some point, as the organization grows or perhaps if you change roles, you end up going from leading people that are doing things to get things done into a step up into leading leaders. And my experience is the biggest change you ever make is taking that first step into leadership, crossing the chasm from doing stuff to managing and leading people. But one of the, one of the other really big changes is going from managing people doing things to managing leaders. What's been your experience in that? Dave, and, and what would you suggest to people that are going through that transition that might make it easier for them to understand the, what that means and what's involved and how it's different from what they've been doing before? Yeah, it's really easy to be hypocrit hypocritical um, when you're bringing a leadership team together that's going to, you know, that's going to lead other parts of your organisation for you. Um, and it's also really hard to to let go sometimes, right? When when you are an individual that's been running the Skunk Works project and you've got four or five people who are working towards a common goal, um, you've got direct line of sight of everything, which is awesome. You, you can't scale, you know, a 500-person organization based on direct line of sight. Once you get above 90 people, I think it's a common number, an organization of 90 people, there's a natural disconnect between an executive and organization and other parts of the business. You can't remember that many names. You know, and it's just it's just becomes that natural point where there's a breaking point of how you split an organization up. And when you're leading on a one-to-one -one basis, and you, you read all the books and look at all of the things that you should do, and it's quite easy because you've got 
you can check yourself because you can directly see what's going on. You're then going to create that sense of trust where actually I'm now, I've got seven people that work for me that are all leading teams of 10, 15 people. Are they delivering the message in the same way? What tools do they need to be able to do it? And am I holding them accountable for the standard of leadership that I expect? And what, what I've found is the main difference between um, leading people versus leading leaders or leading individuals who are um, individual contributors versus people that are leading leading leaders is that you're holding them accountable for the leadership standard. You're not holding them accountable for the day-to-day tactics and the activities, which is just di- which is different, right? So we have a saying uh, at Umbrella called SBI, so Situation Behavior Impact. It's a common common methodology that quite a few people use, but we SBI all the time. If you see a situation that's a behavior that's leading to an impact that's negative, we have to call it out really, really quickly. And that for leaders, that really means, look, there was an opportunity for you to give feedback and I didn't see you give feedback. Why was that? Are you uncomfortable in giving the feedback? Do you, you know, can we help you with the mechanism to give feedback? Um, people turning up to like meetings, we just, you, you know, like you just can't have that. It's, it's all these little micro slippages start to cause it through. So to kind of circle this back through, the difference for me between leading individual contributors versus leading leaders is that you have to set the framework of what good looks like and hold them accountable to the framework for the standards that you hold yourself accountable for. And that's, that's, it becomes a standards game and those standards will ripple through the, will ripple through the organization to all individual contributors and all, and and all teams. Um, So it's less about the individual parts of um leadership in terms of you know how you lead it's more the framework of leadership dave you just mentioned frameworks there when you say framework what specifically you're talking about and how might someone go about building or creating or finding a framework to use to deliver the outcomes that we're talking about here so i think many of us will have been in organizations before where they've put you on you know some form of sales training or a leadership course and it's kind of point in time right so bang, you're in two or three days and you come away with this kind of, wow, that was brilliant. I learned all these things. Okay, right, back to work. And you, you, all the things kind of get thrown out, right? Um, I'm a big believer believer in taking a piece of knowledge, um, creating a set of accountabilities around the piece of knowledge and then practicing it over a period of time and a, te- and a group of people going on a journey together where you're doing a little bit of learning, you're agreeing what your practice is going to look like and then you're spending four weeks or so practicing an individual part of leadership, which you're all kind of seeing the benefits of. And I was looking for a training program, which kind of did that, but it wasn't come in and do training and then leave. It was like a good 12 month mentoring coaching program that, that drove those outcomes. And I stumbled across something from the breakthrough company, which, um, which is awesome. So I can't remember the website address, but if you Google the breakthrough company and it's a 12 month long program, which uh, economically is really quite attainable you know, to, to, to join. And the way it works is um, as a leader or an aspirational leader, there are 12 modules that you go through and it's all the constituent parts of what we know are hard for people to sort out both professionally as a leader and as a, a knowledge worker, right? So things like prioritizing and managing your time, things like time on yourself and big thinking, um, things like how to work with, where to work, work, work with others, um, how to set genuine priorities versus other people's work, how to stay accountable and active, or you know, how to make, maintaining active management versus passive management, all of these things. There's 12 pieces, 12 months. And the style of the framework is you spend um, 10% of your time 
learning. So it's like two hours a month, something like that, Ten, two hours a month, which is like some online training, which is the core walkthroughs of the practice. So let's take an example of time management. So it's two hours on benefits of time management, how to time management, how to time manage strategies, the importance of it, um, how to hold people accountable if they're messing around with your time and capacity, all that kind of stuff. You then do group training, which is the next 10%. So you're getting together with your peers and going, right, this is how we're going to implement some strategies or change how diaries work or whatever to break these things in. And then the rest of the 80% of the time is all just practicing it. So any meeting you're turning up to with your peers, you know the standard, you know what to expect, and you know that you need to be there five minutes early, and you know that if anyone's one minute late, that they're not allowed in the room. All these things get to the end of the month, realize the value, and then move on to the next module. And every quarter, get together what worked, what didn't work. And for me, the framework of that 12-month program to go, these are the standards that Umbrella holds ourselves to because that's how we want to run the company – filters all that training goes actually down into the organization because the leaders are the ones setting up all these meetings in the first place and setting the standard yeah so the breakthrough company really good framework um cost to benefit like it's quite it's great on the basis that actually all of the onus is on you to do the training not someone sat in the front of a classroom telling you how to do it which is you know which is great yeah. and so every leader that joins umbrella um, is put onto the active management program from the breakthrough company 12 months uh, mentorship along the way mentors are in the program with you doing the program um they're not counselors not the right word but they're available on speed dial to like hey look i've got this situation what tools can i use to kind of pull this together and it's, it's been great for us really has been really really positive awesome that, well, look that's that's fantastic because one of the one of the um things that i've found is that you know, there's this thing called the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, which you may or may not have heard of. But but basically, when you learn something, when you get taught something, within a very very short space of time, eighty percent of it's gone, and it's within hours, if not days. And uh, and how you turn that round is actually to not just um, take the knowledge, but to then go and implement the knowledge and practice and learn it. And this sounds like a really powerful way to to go around to go about doing that which uh which is cool so that's uh that's really fantastic thanks um and anyone that's listening to this perhaps go and have a look at that because that that sounds like an awesome program to put to put um into an organization to help build the framework so thank, thanks dave that's been awesome um just before we wrap up dave is there anything that i haven't asked you that i should have um no it's a, it's, a, it's a good question um i guess I actually did have a little bit of pre-thinking about this, this, but um, it's been great because this this kind of interview's gone a, a different way from which I expected. And that's always that's always a always a positive thing. I guess one thing that um, would what I would ask myself is um, where do you go from here as an experienced leader? Because um, I would consider myself still inexperienced, right? I've, you know, yes, I'm 20 years in the industry, but I'm still only 36. I've got a lot of miles left yet to run. Is that you know as a as an experienced or semi-experienced leader, where do you go from here to continue developing? Right. So pretend I've asked you that question. <laughs> okay. So where do I want to go, go from here? Um, look, I, I I find this one a um, really quite really quite challenging because you you know when you're a, you know when you're a kid, right? And you're like, oh, when I get to twenty, I'll feel like an adult. Yeah. When I get to 25, I feel like an adult. I'm like, well, when's adulthood gonna actually gonna gonna land, right? And then you realize that then you realize very, very quickly when you get to like 30 or so that everyone's making this up. 
right? And it's only the things that have preceded them that give them the experience. And but wherever you're at in in the in the journey, um, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, everyone is making it up, right? They're just leveraging lessons that went before them. So no one at that point in time knows the job. You know, Jacinda Ardern lands in the PMC, 36 years old or whatever. She's not done that before. Yeah. Go figure it out. And it's the same with, you know, I guess where I'm at now, but any one of you that's listening who's looking at, what, at wanting to be in leadership or drive a, drive a certain way, just do the work and the experience will come. You, you, you Every day that you, you know, smash away at the coalface, you're going to get some form of experience from it. Which is which is going to help, and um, you know, do the work. The man, you know, the the mahi never stops, right? And we're going to keep going, got to got to keep going. And um, I think that's one. Th- and actually, asked it. Uh, one of my team asked me not recently. They were like, yeah, "Cool, so I've got this aspiration. How do I get there?" And the answer was, "Well, just go and get there because you can, right? If you if you make the asks, you prove your worth, you show you're up to the task. The opportunities will come for you. Yeah, no one's going to sit there and you know give it to you on a silver plate. You got to go and get it." Yep. Brilliant. Hey, that's great. Uh, reminds me of a couple of things. One is, uh, or a couple of quotes. One is that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Um, you know, when things don't work out, that's when you, that's, that's what experience really is, right? It's when, when stuff goes wrong, that's when you really learn. When stuff's going right, you don't tend to learn a whole lot, of, a whole lot. And a lot of it may have to do with luck rather than necessarily your brilliant ability to do things. Um, and the other one, which I really like, is um, that that you that you're making it up. And and there's a Ricky Gervais quote that says, "Just remember something that goes something like, and I'm probably going to botch it, but just just remember if uh, you know no one else has any idea what they're doing either." So. We're all making it up as we go along, which is what experience is all about, and and it's all about learning, getting at the coal face, and and uh, and you know breaking the coal off from the coal face and, and learning stuff. So, Dave, that's been fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. Really enjoyed the interview. Um, I, I never know where they're going to go, but it's been it's been a great one. And and thanks for all your insight and engagement and uh, and actionable uh, ideas that people can take away that have been listening and watching. All good. And uh, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for the invite as well. I pr- appreciate your time. Brilliant. Well, look, well, uh, we'll have to have you back on the show at some point, Dave. But uh, in the meantime, thanks very much. And uh, we'll catch up soon. You thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit, but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.